Crow grew up on an island in the South Seas. Really, you could hardly tell. Look how charming your little monkey is. Such wonderful manners, and she's a monkey! Welcome to the Graveyard Slot, where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more credit or if they should stay buried. I'm Sarah. And I'm Sohini. And today, we're talking about Barbie as the Island Princess. Barbie as the Island Princess tells the story of Ro, who has grown up on a remote island without any memories of her past. When a prince arrives on the island and invites her back to his kingdom, she sets out on a journey to explore civilization and find her long-lost family along the way. The movie was released in 2007, and as is usual for Barbie movies, the cast and crew involved have also been a part of a lot of other Barbie movies, so the director Greg Richardson was also involved in Barbie and the Twelve Dancing Princesses and Barbie and the Magic of Pegasus, and the writers Cliff Ruby and Alana Lesser were also involved in Barbie of Swan Lake, Barbie is Rapunzel, Twelve Dancing Princesses, as well as other teen movies and kids television. And Ilana Lesser, actually, you might want to take note, was also a writer for Barbie as the Princess and the Pauper. Wow. <laughs> so. <laughs> While I don't have much of a history with this movie, Sohini saw it on the off chance a while back and found it surprisingly better than expected. So we wanted to give this movie a proper try and see if it's been unfairly overlooked and actually had more merit than the credit it's been given. That's not true. This was one of my favorite Barbie movies growing up. Interesting. So you do have some nostalgia for it. Yeah, sort of. I forgot everything about the story itself, but what really <laughs> stuck with me were the songs. Ah. So I definitely do have some nostalgia for the music in the movie, but not necessarily the movie itself. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. If we're talking about it, I guess I might as well mention that the score was by Arnie Roth who has also been the composer for many, many Barbie movies. And the songs were written by Megan Cavallari and Amy Powers, who again also have music credits in Barbie as the Princess and the Pauper, which I think is not surprising. I do think the music in this movie is good. I don't know that I disagree with you. The double negatives really helped with that. <laughs> really felt like you were agreeing with me. But, you know, on that subject, let's just jump into the review that I found from the Globe and Mail. And this was about the songs, and it said that the songs in this movie are on par. <laughs> on par with Barbie as the Princess and the Pauper. And I don't I don't think so. I don't think it's bad. I just think this is an unwarranted comparison. This is to me like all of those reviews that are like, this is the Citizen Kane of its kind. <laughs> like you are comparing the music in this to the music in the Citizen Kane of the Barbie movies, and not even the Citizen Kane of the Barbie movies, the Citizen Kane of like any all movies. <laughs> Which would include actual Citizen Kane. I liked it to be clear. I just don't think it does as much for the movie as the songs in Princess of the Popper. It's not as good, I guess, is the, <laughs> the simplest way to put it. I can see your point. I also don't think it always has the same amount of nuance as the songs in Princess and the Popper. But on the whole, I think the music is just really fun. And I think it does its job well as musical songs been moving the story along. Yeah, for sure. I will say there are individual songs that I would say comes close to Princess and the Popper, But I wouldn't say like 
holistically the musical numbers as a whole compared to Persistent of Opera. I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I can see your point. Perhaps unsurprisingly, there weren't a lot of reviews to choose from. (laughs) So one I found was just a review by someone. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the case for all reviews. This one was from DVD Talk. And it said, Barbie as the Island Princess is a well-executed CGI animated fantasy with a sweet, tender, believable approach to its love story that will no doubt make little girls sigh with delight. This is like a typical review, I guess, that you would expect from a Barbie movie, something mentioning how it's great for little girls and I don't disagree with it. It could entertain little girls, but that's not to say that it's not entertaining to a wider audience as well. Big (laughs) girls. Yeah. (laughs) Big girls with Barbie lunchboxes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, what a throwback. Right back to episode 7. My point was, I think that similar to Princess and the Pauper, the fact that it is targeted towards a younger female demographic could be one of its strengths. There are certain freedoms in writing for an audience like this that you wouldn't necessarily have when you're catering to a general audience. I want to preface my thoughts on this. It's the fact that I like this movie. (laughs) I like it a lot. It just seems that the reviews that we found are pointing out the stuff that I wouldn't have. (laughs) It's so weird to me that they specifically mention a sweet, tender, believable approach to its love story when I think that's the weakest aspect. I have such a problem with the way they approach the love story in this movie. I just think they do a poor job of it. So it's weird to me that that's what they pick out when there are so many other great things about this movie. That's a good point. And the word believable is also... <laughs> like, it's not... Believable is probably not the first word I would use to describe this particular movie. But just the overall sentiment I did agree with. Yeah, same. Well, we'll be discussing this movie chronologically as usual. And we start on this remote island. We start with the companions, actually. A red panda and a peacock. They basically find this kid washed ashore. Yeah, after a storm the night before. And I guess we're meant to assume that she was on a ship that sank. Before we talk about the characters, I just want to say the setting is really beautifully done. Throughout the opening sequence, we see beautiful scenery around the island and underwater. And I think it kind of puts us in the main character, Rose, perspective before we even get to know her. And there's such a rich sense of place because of it as well. And the score also does a good job in establishing a distinct feel for the movie. It actually does a good enough job that when the question of leaving the island is brought up, you don't, or rather I don't, (laughs) (laughs) jump at the chance like I feel the same way Ro must and that this is you know her home and it's beautiful and it's not functionally lacking much and I think that's definitely due to how well they paint this island as a beautiful home for Ro and our cast of characters you're right but yeah the peacock Azul and the red panda Saji find Ro washed up on the beach and we actually see this line of little trinkets that slowly lead to Ro. 
and we can see Azul distracted by all these shiny things. But it's Saji who recognizes what is actually of value, which is Ro and the fact that she needs help. This interaction, it's quite short, but it does tell us a lot about these characters with very little. Yeah. I was really amused by Azul's characterization that he's like vain and everything because he's a peacock and he's peacocking. I really liked that word play. Yeah, and we see similar details throughout the story, I think, because there's this one point where Ro gets some crucial information from a bird and mm. it's like a play on the little birdie told me. Yeah. <laughs> I will say... They're not groundbreaking. No. <laughs> but they are fun. And also, like, I feel like for a young audience, this is the kind of playful thing that is probably of more value to somebody much, much younger than we are, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, after this, we have a 10-year time jump. And at this point, Ro has made a home in the jungle with Azul and Saji and Tika, the elephant. The baby elephant. Yeah, a baby elephant <laughs> with thicker eyelashes than I could ever hope for myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Maybelline wishes. <laughs> and this is where we get our first song, Here on My Island. I really like this song. I love big establishing numbers with, you know, the whole cast in it, with the whole company. And this is a really good one. And it establishes <laughs> their <laughs> setting really well and their day-to-day. -day. And not only that, but also the characters. So we get to know everybody really quickly. And it's quite a big cast of characters is the thing. And this song just gets you familiar with them really quickly. Yeah. What I really like about this song is that Ro mentions things that would be quite run-of-the-mill. A home she loves or friends that she can talk to whenever she likes. But everything has a bit of a strange connotation because of where she is. Right. When she's like, friends I can talk to whenever I please, it's a bunch of animals. And when she says they're hanging together, they're literally hanging off of branches. <laughs> that is fun. You can see that they each interact with their surroundings in different ways. So like there's this part where each of them is traveling along a different way because Ro is like, I'll take the high road and Saji is taking the low road and Azul is flying. And I think it's a great way of showing that they've embraced each other's differences yeah, actually, you said something that really stood out to me. The fact that they are interacting with their surroundings. The fact that the song is interacting with the scene and the setting is so important for a musical number and one that a lesser musical wouldn't do because they're just writing like songs that you can pluck out of the scene and send on its own. Whereas here, it's very much, you know, woven into the fabric of the movie, of the scene. And I absolutely love that. I also think this song is a great way to establish the freedom of the life they live, but it also sets up a world that is almost too good to be true. The island is an idyllic setting where it seems like nothing can ever go wrong. There's a line that says, treasures await any road that you take. So it's like any path you take is the right one. There's no wrong answer. And I think it would have been nice to see this extreme idealism contrasted by a sense of dissatisfaction in Road that despite everything seemingly being so perfect, there's still a part of her life that's missing because she can't remember where she's from and there might be family that she doesn't know about. Yeah, actually, I was thinking that the picture that she paints, that they all paint in this song, is interesting in the sense that they're describing what we would think of 
as you know a vacation but for them it's like every day Ro is saying all of these things not knowing the context of it you know yeah like not knowing what value it holds not that she is taking it for granted but I think it's really interesting that we see it come from Ro's mouth and the the creatures around her and it's like recontextualized you know if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but to your point I actually agree with you now that you say that because at first I'm like obviously it's supposed to contrast the life that she'll find quote-unquote in civilization later on and how say restrictive that may be and how it doesn't suit her because we already know the freedom she has on the island but you're right I wish there was that underlying dissatisfaction that you mentioned I think it would have made for an amazing bridge the same way that the bridge in Happy Working Song in Enchanted is her lamenting, her longing and, you know, the sad part of it all. And then she's like, oh, let's forget that for a moment and then go back to the Happy Working Song. I love that moment. And, you know, that's how a lot of bridges work in musical numbers. So I think that would have been perfect here. Whereas what we get is that sense in the next song. But I think it would have been an easy addition to have to hear and also like a fitting one i don't think it would cancel out the next song i think it would just intrigue the viewers yeah i think just for me it would convince me just a little bit more as to why ro decides to go with antonio when the chance comes because i don't know as it is it's like a very happy song throughout from start to finish and it feels a little bit too flat. Yeah, they start and end at the exact same emotional place. I guess part of me is like, okay, Ro doesn't really know <laughs> any other reality. Yeah. But then I think if that is the path that they choose with this character, it doesn't make sense then for her to have that conflict already inside her where she's already curious about where she comes from. Because this makes it seem like it's never occurred to her. And then with Antonio's arrival, the seed is then planted in her head. That makes sense. That should have been how it is. Yeah, I think they should have picked one. There's nothing wrong with her already wondering and then Antonio's arrival gives her the opportunity to actually act on it. But then I think they needed to introduce that conflict earlier on yeah i think if here on my island is the way that it is she should have sung her i want song like the night after antonio arrives or have it asses and then have a a thread of discontent in here on my island yeah but yeah so what triggers the next song is the fact that tika is a nightmare (laughs) and so ro is you know a really good friend and she ends up staying up with Tika and singing her a lullaby of sorts that she remembers from her distant past. <laughs> and I love this scene. I love this whole sequence. I am aware that I think people hate Tika. <laughs> yeah. But I actually love her. <laughs> <laughs> I think this scene especially really establishes the fact that she is a child. And I understand that that can be easy to forget at times (laughs) because she is an elephant. (laughs) But this scene especially really hammers home the fact that she is so young and she has these anxieties that you would have as a child. And the fact that Ro has to like sing her lullaby and everything, it just, it lands for me. Tika kind of looks up to Ro or at least like treats her almost like a parental figure. Not 
to that much of an extent, but a little bit. Like, she's a big sister at the very least. Mm-hmm. And they, I think they do a really good job of establishing not just their friendship, but their familial bond throughout the movie. Like, I can understand the conflicting feelings and obligation that they feel for one another. I think this sequence establishes that really well. I agree with you. I think they do a really good job of establishing this dynamic between Ro and Tika where Ro just seems to be the most understanding out of all of their friends. So that is enough for me to understand why Tika is worried about losing Ro. I guess people are just annoyed by her actions at the surface level, but the drivers of those actions are actually really intriguing. Actually, something you just said brings to mind the fact that she doesn't really treat the other animals as her parents. At least not the same way that she does Roe. So I think that's also really important in the fact that she's not just like a child coddled by everybody. It's specifically Roe. And in the song, which is called Right Here in My Arms, again, she's also singing a lullaby. And I understand it's the song presumably from Rose Mother, but this is a musical. And so you have to also engage with the narrative and <laughs> engage with the fact that this is also within the narrative, Rose singing this to Tika and it's supposed to build on their relationship. The lyric in Right Here in My Arms is stay with me and you can dream forever, which I think is so like telling of what Ro means to Tika and what having her or not having her would mean to her, you know? Yeah, it's a continuation of the idealism we've seen in the first song, like a reassurance that nothing is ever going to change. And there's even a line where she says, everything that I could ever need is right here in my arms tonight. But the fact that this is sung in the song where she expresses the opposite sentiment, in the sense that like this is the moment where Ro expresses her longing to find out more about her past, really plants the seed of Tika's insecurity and her fears of Ro leaving. Yeah, and then there's also that underlying conflict within the lyrics and the context in which they've been sung. On one hand, Ro is reassuring Tika that everything she needs is right here. But the fact is that this song was sung to her by her mother, who... Mm, who is no longer there! Who is no longer there. And so it's like that inherent loss that Ro is feeling and her that her mom is feeling. The fact that the song exists at all is like a sign that Ro can't really mean these lyrics because this part of her life is missing. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's really interesting too because Ro and Tika's relationship is supposed to be a way for us, the audience, to imagine a relationship that Ro and her past family would have had. So it's both convincing us of how valuable the life that she has now is and persuading us to find something that is also going to be this good. You know what I'm saying? Like, if this is telling of what family is, then wouldn't you want to find your family? Right. Obviously, it's not a one or the other kind of thing. But because of the setup that they're in this remote island and they would have to leave and blah, 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 it creates this dichotomy. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the line that said stay with me and you can dream forever because it reminded me of a line in the previous song that said here on my island the days are a dream nice i like that 
we have equated dreams to the life that she already is living so it's really blissful but she also has dreams of exploring her past and you know that means exploring the outside world leaving so the fact that she's already living a dream but also she wants to actually live her actual dreams and this line stay with me and you can dream forever is so telling of that internal struggle and not even just the internal struggle of Ro as a character but also of the narrative of the of this world the setup you're right it's like you can continue this dream like this perfect life but if you stay you will be dreaming forever because those dreams of yours will always be out of reach because you didn't act on them yeah it's a pretty good song I really do love this song. It's one of my favorites. This, I think, is one of the ones on par with Princess and the Popper. <laughs> and you can't really tell just from the song itself, like from the lyrics or anything. But the way that it's performed and the way it unfurls in the movie, it really encapsulates everything that we've been talking about. And it's really impressive, the fact that they can convey that duality. It's really, like, bittersweet in the movie. Yeah. And it's done with surprising restraint. Yeah. But after this... A ship arrives on the island the next day, and we also get our next song, A Brand New Shore, sung by Prince Antonio. Yeah, so here we discover that Prince Antonio loves adventure and sailing, I guess. He's a sailor boy. (laughs) Some of those rich dudes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, he's basically this rich white dude strolling in, and he's like, hey baby, I want to go on my yacht. No, okay. Okay, you're being a bit harsh. I will say, the sailing thing is like his only characteristic in this movie. It's his entire personality and it is so funny because they keep putting in conversations where he has to say, I love the outdoors. Yeah. (laughs) A dozen times. Like, no one was forcing you to do this. Like, the plot didn't back you into a corner to where Antonio has to say something about what he likes. They just voluntarily (laughs) do this. It's so funny. Anyway, the whole point of this song, A Brand New Shore, is that he's discovering the ins and outs of the island. And it's a great song. They managed to condense his discovery of the island and its people quite well. The lyrics read, there's so much to do and learn and touch and hear and see just to step away. And I think it's really interesting that to him, this is like the island that Ro is on, whereas for Ro, it's the exact opposite. It's his kingdom or like civilization or whatever. How do we feel about the use of civilization as a term? I didn't like it, but I don't know if like it's actually just like a correct term or if it is weird. It didn't come off great to me either, but Antonio also has this line where he's like, you saved me, now let me save you. (laughs) Okay, I will say when he offers it quote-unquote take road to civilization or like show her civilization it came off really rough to me just because like he arrives finding civilization ro isn't stranded on the island anymore like she has built a community and like clearly it's a working community you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. when he says it it's less to do with like the actual meaning of the word and more like the context that he's putting it in he's like this is not it and so i'll show you the real kind or something like it's like he's attaching his own perspective and values to the word and that's why i think it comes off a little weird yeah it just seems like he's 
using the term civilization quite narrowly, like civilization only equals the kind of life that he is used to and the kind of life built by people like him. Yeah, people like him. I guess a part of our being iffy about this might also just be because of the way the word civilized is used right, yeah, yeah. in stuff that people see as not civilized versus what is accepted as refined and you know all that stuff yeah for sure also i found it extremely interesting that in the song one of the lines is i have to say it looks like me said by ro and we learn here that she doesn't know about humans <laughs> yep that is fascinating i think it's such an interesting facet to her character and to this premise this aligns more with what we were talking about earlier about her not having thought about exploring a life beyond the island at all yeah. because this seems to be the first time she's become aware of the fact that she's different and that there are others like her this could be a great impetus for her to seek out even more people who are like her and realize that she may have a biological family out there somewhere. Now that we've talked about it to this extent, I really wish Right Here in My Arms was after a brand new shore. Yeah, I think it would have made a bit more sense. The whole narrative surrounding Rose conflict seems a little bit confusing and like not quite as well thought out as it could have been. Yeah, I think it's good. I just think it could have been better. Yeah, exactly. After the song is where she's showing Antonio that box of things that washed up on shore with her. And it's got a fragment of what she thinks is her name. Which I think it would have been funny if it had been like a random brand name or something. And she's just oh been calling herself that. I would have loved that actually. That would have been so fun and clever. It would have been this whole thing about like what is identity? You know, is it what you make of yourself or what was assigned to you? But they needed the name to have the reveal. Well, I mean, she knows the song. It would have worked fine without the name. Yeah, they should have just used the song and then the name could be something fun. Like... Um, Samsonite. Her yeah. name have been Sam. Yeah. <laughs> so Antonio invites them, or rather he invites her. <laughs> and the others just kind of tag along. But he invites her back to his kingdom. But Ro is conflicted about accepting his offer. And this is where we get the next song, I Need to Know. Yes. This is the I Want song. And I really like it. It's great. I love this song so much. Throughout the song, we progress from Ro on the island to all of them sailing off back to Antonio's kingdom. And Ro is basically wondering what's ahead. Similar to the previous song, the sentiment is again echoed by Antonio for slightly different reasons because they're both on the cusp of something new. And I really like that Antonio's and Rose journeys complement each other. For him, setting off from his kingdom was adventure. And for her, going back there is the adventure. And while it's opposite, it's like both of them are headed for something new that they don't quite understand, but that they're excited about. I think it gives them an emotional common ground, which is paralleled by Ro also trying to find physical common grounds with him. She's like, she's wondering if the mast is the tree he sleeps in and she's mirroring the way that he interacts with the ship. 
I think it's a great basis for the start of their relationship, but unfortunately, they don't really build on it past this point. <laughs> yeah, I love the song. My favorite part is where Ro is marveling over his human behavior. The lyrics themselves and when she's doing this are so wonderful. I love it because it, like you said, it recontextualizes some things and you, you get to see how she sees the world. She says, why does he look through circles? Why does he hide his feet? But this is the thing. This is as far as they develop their relationship. And I love how it's gone. Well, I don't know if I love it with the whole civilization thing. <laughs> but <laughs> I love the relationship depicted in the song. But at this point, part of her wondering is about her feelings. She doesn't understand what that means. She doesn't really know about like dating. <laughs> because she says, why do I feel so shy when we meet? What are these feelings I feel when he's here by my side? So I was really excited for the movie to explore her discovering what that means. And then it never does. The next thing we know, it's as if she's they're already together and they've already decided to start a life together. And it makes no sense. It's not even in a like, oh my god, they moved so fast, blah blah blah. It's like the movie doesn't do it. They don't even make them move fast. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not even saying like suddenly we are to believe that they have decided to like get married or whatever. It's like they're acting as if they have, even though like within the story, they have it. <laughs> they are suddenly thrown into a situation where the conflict comes from the fact that they are already betrothed, except that they aren't. But the movie keeps going as it, like, let's just ignore that. Let's, the conflict works. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't work because the, there's no problem here. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. Ro doesn't have that emotional knowledge that would make her conscious of her feelings and the significance behind them. And so it doesn't make sense for her to react negatively when she finds out that Antonio's parents have arranged for him to marry a princess. Yeah, what does that mean for her? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that is the main problem. But also aside from that, even if they had somehow established her learning about all these things, even then, it's so abrupt. From Antonio's perspective, he's literally just met Ro and already he's talking about how he loves her and all that. And it, it feels like all the development for the relationship, they just glossed over it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even like we're supposed to believe that it happened off screen. Yeah, it like it just it wasn't in the movie. <laughs> I'm assuming that the journey takes them a few weeks because they're on a ship. So it would have been so easy for them to have a very, very brief montage. montage. <laughs> the same way that this song spans like her contemplating leaving to their journey, I feel like it would have been so easy to have a very short number, like a 30 second number even, of their, say, six week journey where they get together. And then by the time we get to the kingdom, we understand that they're together and why it would be bad <laughs> for him to be betrothed to somebody else. Yeah. I know Antonio talks of love and everything later on, but even in the song, it ends with him being like, She's kind of cute, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I really liked that. It was the start of something new and then they just skipped yeah. <laughs> to breaking free. And it's like, what happened in the middle? I also do think the setting of the ship is underutilized. Mm. During the whole song, all they're doing is staring out into sea. 
they could have used the space so much better. They could have played with levels. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. They could have. <laughs> what I'm saying is it's a contained space. There's certain restrictions and opportunities that come with a setting like this that I think they could have totally used to show the development of their relationship. They're sailing between these two concrete destinations. So it's kind of like they're in no man's land, really. Yeah, and that kind of represents their emotional states as well because they haven't arrived at any solid conclusion on solid ground yet. So visually, this whole scene also is kind of... It doesn't do justice to the song, I think. Yeah. I wish they had interacted with their setting as much as they did in Here on My Island. Exactly. I think it would have been really interesting too because they're sailing towards his kingdom and his domain where like she talks about if this mast is the tree he sleeps in. And I think it would have been really interesting to see her misunderstanding the mast and like climbing up to like relax and stuff and then by the end of the song he's joined her up there so it's like even though they're going to his domain he is willing to meet her where she is you know oh that would have been cute like, if you're a really outdoorsy boy <laughs> go up and climb the mast <laughs> one thing i do like is at one point row waves at the dolphins swimming past and it reminded me of a lyric from here on my island that said dolphins are waving wherever I go. That's so cute. It's like she's trying to find some semblance of familiarity. Yeah, that's sweet. I was thinking, I wonder if her connection with dolphins has to do with her washing ashore. Like mm, maybe the dolphins were what took her to the island. The fact that she can, that she... The telepathic thing. <laughs> <laughs> that they have a kinship. And why she feels so like safe with them and why they feel so familiar because they saved her at one point as a child. That's a great point. But yeah, I mean, what you said about Antonio meeting her where she is, I think we could have also seen the other side. We already see Ro becoming more confident as she moves around the ship. Like she stands right on the edge, which is a little bit <laughs> too much in my opinion. <laughs> like, Calm down. You don't want to like, get in another <laughs> ship-related accident. <laughs> But yeah, I think it would have been nice if we also see him guiding her yeah. and said we just see him looking at her, <laughs> yeah. which is fine, but maybe interact a bit more. Also telling of how surface levels interest us, maybe. I also don't understand what they like about each other. I will say that. I do like this song because it's just the start of it, but that's what I assumed it was, the start. So we never got to the point where we learn what they like about each other, <laughs> like actual things about each other, you know? I don't know why they're quote-unquote in love. I think he likes her because she likes the outdoors. <laughs> yeah. For somebody whose entire personality is the outdoors, that is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. And she likes him because he's the only guy she knows. <laughs> but yeah, by the end of the song, they arrive at the kingdom. And immediately, they establish a very different environment compared to what we saw on the island. Because the first thing we see is a bird crashing into the sail. <laughs> and immediately we know it's not the idyllic place that we saw before. Yeah, and I think this rude awakening, you might say, <laughs> explains a lot about how things go down in, during this arrival. Because there's this moment where the prince was going to have her ride in the carriage with him. But Tika is... Not suspicious, but she is doubtful and scared of this new place. And I think that's a very understandable feeling. 
it's not just like going to a new country. It's a literally a like a different civilization. <laughs> yeah, like a different planet, basically. Yeah, it's like a different planet, exactly. And I think that fear and that feeling is so real. I really love Tika's role here, and I think uh, her feelings are very understandable. Like, it's not just being in a new place, but it's being separated from your loved one. And it's like, who the fuck is this guy? Even <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we don't know. I think that is Tika's line <laughs> later on. <laughs> In reality, the reason that Ro should be in the carriage and the other animals aren't is because Tika is an elephant. (laughs) (laughs) She is too big for the carriage. But I will say, I was offended. (laughs) I was like, you are already putting them in these boxes, putting constraints on them from your culture, from your values and everything onto this family that don't conform to that for Antonio that's just the way it is right like the people go in the carriages and the animals don't but like I think it's telling of like where he's coming from and obviously because we're in a movie where animals talk and they are our friends where Antonio is coming from is the human world let's say but I think thematically it is symbolic of the difference in say their class right Yeah, I can see that, especially with Ariana as a character and the line they draw between her and the pigs. Yeah, a lot of the things that Rose used to have to do with like table manners and things. Status. So I think it's pretty clear to me what they're trying to say. Or at least like, even if they aren't trying to say this, the movie does end up saying this. I feel like they could have made him more not like this. <laughs> he offers Ro like the carriage, but then he doesn't even like talk to the animals at all. I know he can't talk to them, but he's he's not like your friends will follow behind. Even that would be like fine. Like he doesn't he doesn't even take into account her family at all. He's already like shoved her into the carriage. He's shoving her into this box. I know he doesn't understand that that's like not a thing for her and her culture, but like again, I don't think he's doing it malicious. I just think this is telling of the problems they probably would have in their marriage. (laughs) I think it makes them incompatible. I don't think they've learned enough about each other. That's the thing. If they they had on the ship, then I think he would be more sensitive to what it is he's actually asking of her here. Yeah, I understand your point. And I think it's a really good point. I also don't think Antonio is doing this maliciously the way Ariana, you know, has very conscious prejudices against certain animals. It just seems more like he's carrying on the way he's always used to. I think you can see this attitude reflected in his family as well. So you can kind of understand where it comes from because once... Ro meets the king and queen and she mentions how she wasn't alone because she had all the animals on the island. The queen immediately assumes that those animals were her pets. So it's interesting as a setup, but it's never really explored or broken down in any way. Yeah, I was so excited for them to explore this theme because it pops up real early. The whole premise is about like animals and like they do it so pointedly as well. And then they never resolve it. (laughs) They just, they're like, this is the way the world works, kids. We can't solve it. It's your turn. (laughs) 
especially with Queen Ariana, how she's contrasted with the prince. I think it actually just highlights how they both treat, say, Roe and the animals in a particular way. It's just that Queen Ariana is coming from actually a more informed place because we learn that she does know more of a life outside of nobility, whereas the prince is doing all this out of ignorance, which to me just speaks even louder of the disconnect that he and Rose's character have. Yeah, and they never really interact in any meaningful ways. So it never develops beyond a superficial point. It's such a shame because it doesn't feel like they would have to rearrange a lot of the plot as it is to Mm. make this a better story and make their relationship more believable and interesting. They all arrive at the castle and... Antonio's immediately like, I want you to meet my parents. (laughs) (laughs) There's also this whole thing about like the king being evil, (laughs) kind of. He's not great. He is supposed to be a bad father and verging on being a bad king. And the queen is also depicted as somebody who's very shallow and uninterested in doing anything of value and like treat it as nothing more than like an accessory to the king. Yeah, like there's this whole thing happening that they don't, <laughs> that they make a point of depicting in a very particular way. Even with Ariana introduced, I still thought the king and queen were the bad guys because he is manipulated in a way by Queen Ariana, but he is also manipulating so many other aspects of the story. I don't know. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I didn't see them, the king and queen, as the antagonists in the story. To me, he feels like Antonio's personal antagonist, but not the story's antagonist. They always felt like vehicles to me for Ariana's villainy. I see. The king is being very harsh about Antonio. Okay, I guess I have been calling him like a rich kid sailing around the world. So like, fair, he needs to own up to some responsibility. But like, the part actually that really ticks me off is the mother. Again, because as the movie goes on, it's clear that she is just supposed to be the symbol for class and wealth and royalty. The scene when she dismisses the king's grumblings came off so much to me, like her making light of Prince Antonio's wishes and desires and dreams, but at the same time makes light of the king's grievances. (laughs) Right off the bat, I think she's an interesting part of the narrative. So Ro meets the king and queen and they're obviously not very impressed with her, but they find out that she can talk to animals because Ro starts talking to the queen's pet monkey, Tallulah. Basically, we learn that the queen likes to keep, like, exotic pets. Yeah, she assumes that Azul is another pet for her. Yeah, yeah, she also assumes that Azul is gonna be given to her. That was terrifying. Uh, (laughs) I think teacups, right? (laughs) Get the fuck out of there. I can't remember if this is the exact word that they say, but they do frame it in a way where the queen believes that she is saving all of these exotic animals from their habitats when she is housing them at the palace and by her side. And we learn more about Tallulah later. Here is also where we meet Princess Luciana and her mother, Queen Ariana. They have similar names. (laughs) I have also just realized. Is that intentional or did they just go with the first names they thought of. <laughs> Actually, I think it's in character for Ariana to name, name her, her kids yeah. so similarly to her own name. 
well, the king just springs on Antonio that he's supposed to be getting married to Princess Luciana. And we can immediately see that Luciana fits in much better in this kind of environment than Ro. She's dressed in purple compared to Ro's very simple white dress. And Ariana's styling is also very exaggerated, mirroring the stereotypical Marie Antoinette kind of styling that we see in media. Very dark eyeshadow. Yes, and the very tall hair. <laughs> and the prince is immediately against this, obviously. He doesn't want to marry some stranger. Yeah. But yeah, they introduce this whole betrothed to another woman thing, and then Ro immediately understands, and she like runs off. And the prince immediately runs after her, and it's all very dramatic. <laughs> yeah, and given everything we've discussed, it doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> Though I do think, it's interesting that everything that the king stands against, freedom and, you know, Antonio basically being able to lead his own life, Roe is like the epitome of that versus the duties that he's supposed to honor reflected in Luciana. But Roe and Luciana aren't pitted against each other. Yeah. That was a refreshing thing to see. Luciana is just, she's a good guy. She's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. She's forced into this as much as Antonio is. Actually, what you said makes me think of the fact that Antonio is shirking his duties, right? He doesn't act the prince that he is. And while I'm all for, you know, he should have control of his own life and everything, that would mean that he wouldn't be able to go off gallivanting. Mm -hmm. Like, he's only able to do all of these things because of his privilege, but what he wants is to be free of his princely duties of his title but like my dude if you are free of your title remember you don't have that boat you don't have this ability to just go off gallivanting and i think the movie is so aware of itself like there's so many things with the animals and with royalty and the movie is so aware of all of this and so willing to confront that even though they're not willing to solve it or anything <laughs> this is where i think i am realizing i have a problem with antonio because the movie never for one second is self-aware about antonio as a character they depicted as like he wants to be free of his duties but he is also depicted as somebody who like his entire personality is born from being able to do things because of the privilege of being a prince. He wouldn't even meet Ro if he wasn't able to travel as a prince. You're right, didn't think of that. Somehow the movie isn't aware that traveling is not a personality that is independent of being a prince. Yeah, even if it had been something simple, like we see him able to stand on his own two feet and that's what he seeks in life. It's not just getting rid of the constraints of royalty, but also like showing that he's aware of the privileges that he has and that when he's giving up his responsibilities, he's also willingly and consciously giving up the privileges that come with his lifestyle we never really see him in any kind of context that allows that i think it, he should have shown up not as a prince i think that's the context we would have seen him as a regular person on the island mm. and then they get to talking and then and then he's like let me take you back to the human lands and blah 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 and she's like no i can't ask that much of you and you're like in the middle of your travels and he's like no you don't understand i actually have a lot of power back home i'm a prince and i can help you with my resources and 
stuff. And then we see him come back to the kingdom and he actually has this disconnect with his family. He doesn't act the way that they do. He is aware of how the outside world works. He even is aware of what actually his mother is doing, the queen. He he has seen like Rose Island where animals are in, in their habitats and they are flourishing and blah 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 and he understands why this is wrong. That is also why he wants to distance himself from being a prince and the fact that he likes traveling is symbolic of that and it's not just him wanting to be on the high seas it's the fact that he's literally running away from this shameful burden of being a prince of being part of this royal family that is so fucked up that's a great point and now that i think about it his behavior isn't really of a person who has seen the world he comes off as very ignorant and narrow-minded yeah so at this point, Ro wants to leave, but Antonio asks her to stay and says that the animals can stay in the royal stables. I was ready to cut a bitch. I was like, <laughs> excuse you. It's like inviting her family members to stay yeah. in the stables. It's so insensitive. He still doesn't understand. Thankfully, Ro kind of just wanders. She does whatever the fuck she wants. Yeah. Like she's used to. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> But they go to this pig pen and they talk to the pigs and they're fine. But it's just like they're living a, clearly a very different life than the one that Ro and her family are familiar with. Very constrained and, you know, they're living in a human world. They have to fit into that world. I mean, even the way that Antonio was like, oh, that's fine. The animals can just go to the stables. It's like in his eyes, they have to go somewhere. They can't just live amongst us or whatever it's also the implication that certain kinds of animals belong in certain places because Tallulah actually participates in their activities like she's a family member yeah. but when it comes to Rose family they don't really fit the expectations and so they're instead stowed away and Ro included because they actually end up spending the night in the greenhouse yeah no one really looks for her and it's like we gotta show the the, the <laughs> guest her room where the fuck is she we actually get ariana's villain song in the next scene <laughs> yeah and she's like bossing her kid around right yeah luciana tries to tell her that she wants to marry someone she loves but her mom doesn't care we also learn about her true motivations which is that she wants to get revenge on the king and queen for taking their land away when she was young because her family committed treason <laughs> there's this line in the song which is who needs a heart that's going to bleed i really like that <laughs> yes i love that line especially because we know that her downfall comes from trying to kill the king and queen so it's like that is the weakness that she herself has exploited so obviously she wouldn't want it for herself you're right i was thinking of it as maybe a way of showing how Ariana thinks about wealth and like suffering that is bound to follow a lack of wealth. Almost as if wealth kind of makes you immune to all of that, which it doesn't. But in her mindset, wealth is equal to power, is equal to happiness. And immortality, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I caught that as well. That her motivation isn't just that she wants wealth. It's that she wants wealth because she wants to be happy. Not to validate her, but just to read her character. It says a lot about perhaps how traumatic her time was when she was in poverty. Which, like, valid. 
Yeah. And also, she says she was a tiny tot when it happened. Yeah, she was a child. She was merely a victim. Which doesn't make her current actions okay, but she did suffer as a result of her family's mistakes. I really like how, I mean, I know she's not talking to anybody, so this is like her internal monologue, but I do like how honest she is, at least with herself. And her rats. And her rats, yeah, literal. Her literal rats. That her marriage and her childbearing were all strategic and ways to get what she wants. She says, I found the oldest king that I could. His heart condition was a plus. Sunday we were wed. Wednesday he was dead. Happily, that put an end to us. I don't know. I like the almost like modern connotations that this gives her character and the song. Like everything about like young gold diggers and blah blah blah. But brought to life in this character where that's not part of her shame. Part of her shame is like her actual past, but her cunning isn't exactly a shame. Obviously, she's not broadcasting it to the world because (laughs) she's got plans, but internally, she's not ashamed of it. I just mean like it makes her such an interesting character. Definitely. And particularly with the rats as her pets, we get a couple of shots of Ariana from the rats perspective and from that perspective it's almost difficult to tell whether it's the rats behind the bars or if it's ariana Mm. which could be foreshadowing for how things will end up for her (laughs) (laughs) but could also hint at how she may also be bound in a similar way that the rats are by society and her lot in life yeah because as we said A lot of what happened in her past has nothing to do with her own actions. And I think it's also like we've come to this human kingdom and we learned what it's like for royalty, for the prince, for Tallulah. But now we're looking at it for someone who is merely living in their world, you know, who are under their thumb. And this is what you have to do to get to the top or whatever, to get a decent life. And so with the shot that you were talking about the villain song is almost screaming could you blame me you know mm-hmm. and i know we're not supposed to sympathize with ariana but if you listen <laughs> to it a little bit more you do understand the nuance but also on the subject of the rats she too is complicit in the system i mean in many other ways obviously but in the thread that we've explored with the queen having these exotic pets she too is using these rats to her advantage and caging the men because the way that is portrayed with the queen is less physical cage even though you know that's if you too because it's a palace but with ariana she doesn't have that kind of power she doesn't have a palace to put the rats in, <laughs> or a stable or a greenhouse she has a teeny tiny cage and i think that's really interesting that she's doing this thing that is comparable to what we learn the queen does with her pets and she keeps them hidden away i guess that's like a symbol of her true motives and her true you know aspirations to climb up the ladder i think the choice of it of them being rats is Telling of many things, both functionally because she wants them to sneak around, but also telling of like where she's actually coming from or like her background and her resources. So the next day, Antonio invites Ro to tea with his family and Ariana and Luciana are also there. So is Tallulah. 
yeah, participating in ways that even Ro is not able to. Yes, I actually found this really interesting that the comparison isn't actually between Ro and Luciana. It's framed as between Ro and Tallulah, and I think it's telling of the themes of this movie. Mm-hmm. Tallulah has obviously acclimated to this life and has been domesticated to be able to do all of these things. She is sitting up like a person. She is, you know, drinking tea very properly. It's domestication to the extremes because it's not just the fact that she's domesticated, but also that she's been taught proper etiquette and she's like mimicking the behavior of the people who took her out of her natural habitat, made her forget where she's from. And it's all very telling of the kind of people that the royal family is i guess it's also telling that she is able to participate because like you said the other animals are treated very differently and it's like you can only join us at the table literally in this case if you (laughs) conform to like our practices it's like if you literally shed everything that you are and quote-unquote become one of us and then you'll be good enough to sit at the table but yeah i think it's a great choice for them to have Tallulah here and to have this after the scene where we learn of the royal stables and see the state of them yeah definitely some double standards going on (laughs) ariana also uses this to her advantage she explicitly compares ro to Tallulah, and this is a very pointed insult I guess given her background, having fallen out of favor with the royal family and having experienced poverty and having a certain prejudice against them and everything, it does make sense that she would be able to almost wield the system like a weapon for her own gain. In this scene, Ro is wearing pink. It's the first time she wears color. No. She's acclimating. She she's is. turning into Tallulah. She's adjusting. <laughs> Throughout, we've seen her in a really simple white dress that could symbolize her innocence and lack of knowledge and understanding of the outside world. But it was also like a blank canvas because she can't remember her identity. Oh, wow. But at this point, it could also indicate her quote love for antonio and her wish to stay on she and antonio like never talk ever again (laughs) (laughs) i wish they had like flirted or something around this time so that the pink could symbolize that yeah i also like that it's short and very out of place compared to the poofy ball gowns poofy ball gowns (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Ariana sees what's going on and she engineers it so that Ro basically has food spilt on her and she leaves the table and she runs to the greenhouse and this is where she's singing to herself and Tallulah overhears and goes to the greenhouse. Basically we learn (laughs) Tallulah has forgotten how to climb and we see Ro reintroducing Tallulah to wildlife. And it's heartbreaking, but also very heartwarming. I don't know. Ro is so compassionate. And the thing is, like, Ro comes from probably a place that's more similar to Tallulah's home than either of them would realize or than this place is. And so Ro teaching her how to climb again and reintroducing her to wildlife is so meaningful that it's coming from Ro especially. And also like the fact that this is happening right after Ro and Tallulah were pitted against each other at the tea. Yeah, I think there are 
a lot of both narrative and visual parallels between the two of them. Both have white as their dominant color, but whereas Ro has these natural accessories made out of plants, Tallulah is decked out in gold and a jewels. Tiara. Yeah, which subverts expectations because you would expect them to be in each other's places. Both have forgotten their origins and so find a sense of kinship in each other. And I think it's especially nice that Ro, as someone who is kind of looked down upon and seen as not good enough in this environment, is the one who helps Tallulah rediscover her identity. It's like in the eyes of the royals and everybody else, it may be a shame that Ro isn't able to properly drink tea or whatever. And it's like Tallulah is accomplished for having proper table manners, but for them, like outside of that whole thing, what has value is very different for them. The royals don't understand why it would be valuable for them to be able to climb, to be able to survive in the wild, or like what is so valuable about wildlife. You know, they took Tallulah in and they see those aspects of her as wrong and as less than. They stripped her of it so that she could have the right behaviors. It's very much molded by the royal's own values and so that applies like you said to Ro. Yeah I suppose Tallulah could function as kind of a cautionary tale for Ro. Yeah it's a warning. If it weren't for Ro's really strong sense of self she would find herself going down that same path forgetting her origins in a completely different way yeah and i think that brings up the idea of like what is your identity right is it what you have made of yourself or where you come from ro is looking for who she is and where she came from but all along she has such a strong sense of self like you said so despite having this background that she'll discover later she's already formed her identity and on the other end of the spectrum we have Tallulah who has lost her sense of self but she's also painted as this complacent and ignorant character who's like not even aware of the loss that she's been made to go through. But we learn that's not true. The way she says, I've forgotten how to climb, she is so aware of what has been taken from her. And actually, on that note, what also breaks my heart is the fact that she is always being carried around by the queen. And whenever the queen shows up, she goes to jump into her arms. She has lost the ability to climb to the point where she has to be dependent on the queen. That independence has been taken away in every possible way. Yeah. The queen is horrible. <laughs> I see it now. <laughs> but Ro ends up reminding Tallulah how to climb. And while all of this is going on, we see Antonio and Luciana talking. <laughs> <laughs> and they literally have nothing in common. And he's talking about the outdoors again. <laughs> it's a mess. It's all he talks about. <laughs> and... The king is showing Ariana the pig pen for some reason, and the pigs <laughs> splatter some mud on her dress. The pigs kind of stand for everything that she wants to separate herself from. But she's stained by them. Them splattering her 
with mud it's like her hands are dirty even when she's trying to disguise herself with all the finery again there's a thread about identity there it's like she can't truly hide who she is yeah i think there's also something to the fact that that hardship was what got her to where she is in the sense that she is cutthroat and cunning and everything because of that past it's also really interesting to me that the king brings her to the pen just like he did when she was a child figuratively yeah you're right it's just in a different sense now so we learned that there's going to be a ball to celebrate antonio and luciana's engagement ro doesn't want to go but her friends encourage her to and we get our next song at the ball it's between Tallulah and saji they're trying to style ro but they have very different tastes. <laughs> and I think it's really interesting because Tulua is more aware of the appropriate fashion for the ball and Saji is not. <laughs> <laughs> Saji has the taste of somebody who's been living at the island for a long time. And I think it's just like her past and future coming together to shape who she is now. Yeah, I saw it as the opposite extremes of each world and Ro manages to find the middle ground which shows her adjusting to her surroundings without losing her roots. I like that throughout the movie there never is a sense of her losing her way. She's always so self-assured and that's just not part of the arc and I love that. Yeah. It's almost actually like the whole movie is about other things except for Ro. <laughs> her story is actually quite simple. It's just her like learning her origins and stuff. And even when things go down, she's just chilling and then she gets thrown in the dungeon. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she attends the ball where Luciana and Antonio are still struggling to find things in common. <laughs> <laughs> but Ro arrives and she and Antonio dance, and Ariana witnesses this and insists that they move up the wedding. It feels a little bit abrupt because Antonio and Ro are just talking. For the first time since the boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he asks her to stay, and she refuses, and then she just leaves. And she leaves the ball. What triggers this decision for her? That she sees him with Luciana? I don't know, he literally... Maybe he said, he said outdoors one to many times. <laughs> Even she has had enough and she spent her yeah. whole life outdoors. <laughs> I'm not a fan of this scene. I don't understand it. The beats don't make sense to me. But she ends up with Saji, who has noticed this familiar emblem on one of the carriages. And they investigate and find out that it's from this distant royal family. They speculate whether that could be Rose family. It doesn't lead to anything at this point. But at the same time, we have Antonio, who has decided to give up the crown for Ro. Oh my god, the scene. <laughs> yeah. This conversation happens in the throne room, but it's kind of awkward because <laughs> they're standing in one corner. And you also notice while we were watching that Antonio also just sets the crown down on a random surface. They're basically talking in a hallway <laughs> and he sets it down on like a hallway table. It is so weird, especially because we're already in the throne room. Why won't you use it? The only reason I could think of, which is just like me speculating, is that it's supposed to be anticlimactic because royalty doesn't hold as much significance to Antonio. So it's nondescript to reflect his attitude towards it. 
but given everything that we have discussed it just makes him seem even more ignorant and it's almost like he doesn't care about the privilege that he's been enjoying that's come at the expense of somebody but he doesn't care enough about his people yeah i actually thought the weird setting <laughs> maybe has to do with like the fact that for them this isn't as grand because this is their everyday but also that like you said he's treating it really cavalierly but even more so like i thought it has to do with the fact that it's sudden and abrupt not necessarily on Antonio's side, but on the king's side. He wasn't waiting for Antonio on the throne, in the throne room. He just happened to be there. He was in a corner. I don't, I, I don't know what he would be doing in a corner, <laughs> but... And, like, the fact that he's putting the crown on a random side table, to me, is just telling of everything that you said, basically. But also, like, how mundane this moment is, even though it's got so much weight to it. It's, like... The petty squabbles of these royals in our lives. Anyway, he goes off to the greenhouse and he writes a letter asking Ro to run away with him. But what he doesn't know is that Tika is there. And she overheard him dictating <laughs> what he was writing. And so she's scared that Ro was going to leave them. And so she takes the note he leaves her and hides it away. Yep. I understand the fear that is driving this action. The prince just says, we will run away together. And we can understand that obviously Ro won't just leave her family there and we'll pro they'll probably go with them. But like, the prince doesn't invite Ro's family. But yeah, so the prince's request for them to meet never gets to Ro. In the meantime, Ariana has hatched this plan to put some kind of sleeping powder in every animal's food so that Ro will be blamed <laughs> because she talks to animals. I still think this is a confusing plan. How is them all falling asleep have anything to do with her being able to speak to them? It's not like she's a sorceress. She doesn't like cast spells with her words. No, but she is painted as someone who has an affinity for to hang out with animals yeah or form some kind of bond oh you're right but yeah this plan is carried out in the next song Ugh. the rat song i hate it so much visuals aside i do actually like the song itself if i didn't have to look at it with my own two eyes <laughs> It's very fun. They're talking about how much they love cheese and all these different kinds of cheese. It's kind of funny. And actually, it is really interesting that Ariana presents the rats a plate and says she will give them cheese on it. And so they're envisioning this giant plate filled with cheese. But when they come back from having done her bidding, they find a tiny morsel of cheese on that giant plate. She's promising them something in vague terms, but when it comes down to it, she's not living up to what she promised. But you can't blame her because she technically didn't say she was going to fill the plate. Yeah, I think it's also like interesting that we get this idea of Ariana being, you know, nobility, but she is like of a lower status than the royals. But even with that, there's always the rats there's somebody even lower than her who, who's actually doing the hard work who are not compensated properly so it's like yes we already get the side of like ariana 
did get the short end of the stick, but there will always be somebody below her and probably below the rats as well. At the very least, it does a well enough job of depicting a system that is at play here. So everyone wakes up and finds out that the animals aren't waking up. (laughs) Are dying. Yeah, it seems like they're afflicted with some kind of illness. Ariana basically insinuates that this must be Rose's fault, and so she and her friends are thrown in a cell. Yeah, at this point, Rose already discovered, like, the cure, right? Yeah. And she's trying to help, but they won't let her. And this is a problem I have. I wish she had just told them what the cure is. They act as if, like, Rose's the only one who can make it, and it's, like, not true. I guess they just wouldn't do it because they don't trust her. Yeah, but she can just tell the prince or something. Yeah, I don't know where the prince is at this point. He <laughs> just shows up that evening. But where were you the whole day? Just moping because Ro didn't show up? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> he, he was outdoors. Outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he does show up. And the king tells him that he'll let Ro go if Antonio resumes his duties as a prince and marries... Luciana. And he does, to his credit. He does. So they're freed and taken on a ship to go back to the island. And here Tika confesses what she did with the letter. And we get our next song, which is called Always More. Tika is scared that once Ro loves Prince Antonio, God knows why she would, but if she does, <laughs> she won't love Tika anymore. I think this is the thing. You have to look at them as parent and child because I don't think anyone would make light of this issue if it was about like a single mother dating and her kid struggling with that and especially as young a kid as Tika seems to be where they don't quite understand that you know love is to share and everything which is what Ro articulates in a song. I think it's sweet how Ro comforts Tika the same way she did on the island by singing because it's like a shared love language Yes, and The lyrics are really sweet as well. The one that caught my eye was In Your Heart, There's Always More, which is like a direct contrast to Ariana's line about who wants a heart that will bleed because a heart that bleeds is also one that feels, that feels love. The line that gets to me in the song is, you are my Tika and I am your Rowe. Always, forever, wherever we go. It's not even like you are my friend, which is a role that someone else could fulfill. It's like that very specific person, like that no one else could be. You are that person in each other's lives. And it's so sweet. Yeah. Well, what Tika and Ro and everybody else don't know is that Queen Ariana has bribed the people manning the ship to kill them in the voyage. Yep. Two murder plots going on at the same time. She's a busy woman. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, did she need to? They were already going back to the island. (laughs) That's what I was thinking too. Just leave them alone. But just like years ago, the dolphins come to her rescue. Yeah, they summon dolphins who take them back. It would feel a little bit random that they showed up at the right time but the dolphins have been a recurring presence throughout the story they were swimming by the ship and in the beginning when antonio first arrives it almost looked like they were guiding the ship to the island oh no 
know that's a theory. So it's almost like they're driving the story along. I would have liked one more instance of them at the kingdom. Like she's walking by the shore and then she sees like the dolphins. That would have been nice. But they get taken back to the kingdom, right? Yeah, Ro and her friends come back to the castle in time for the wedding. And Ariana has gone out of control. She's drugging all the food. So Ro and her friends make the healing tonic to reverse the effects of the sleeping powder and they basically have to interrupt the wedding to deliver it to Tallulah. So yeah, Tika barges in <laughs> to object. <laughs> it was very cute. I like those scenes. But yeah, so this entire time the queen has been distraught because Tallulah is sick. Again, I think it says a lot that she is only caring of Tallulah and like I don't know, I really like the whole depiction of the queen where, like, yeah, she quote-unquote cares about Tallulah, but, like, that is yet another facet to her awfulness. Like, she doesn't truly care for Tallulah because otherwise she would never have done what she did to her. Because she also, like, cradles Tallulah like a baby while she was sick. There's just this whole, like, thing about the way the queen treats her on top of the domestication and displacement. Like, another layer to it that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it's kind of framed like... Infantilizing. Yeah, that's an appropriate word to use here. It's framed like, oh, I treat her as my own kid, like, as a part of my family. And that is in itself portrayed as a generosity on the queen's part, but... They never asked Tallulah. Given the contrasts that we have with Ro and the way she treats her family, we can very much see that there is a difference in their attitudes. Because for Ro, they're very much beings in their own right. But they managed to get the tonic to Tallulah. So that proves that Ro's potion works. And... She tells everybody that the person behind this whole thing was Ariana. She had heard from a little bit <laughs> that Ariana had also poisoned the wedding cake and all the food. And Luciana actually steps up to the plate. She tells everybody that her mother actually told her not to eat anything. And why would she do that unless she's guilty? I think it's poetic that the final nail in the coffin for Ariana is thanks to Luciana. The person that she's been keeping under her thumb throughout this entire story. Yeah, it's also like the person she created, quite literally. Her own creation became her downfall because it gained a life of its own. Because her pet is not just a pet, it's a human being. Which I think goes hand in hand with everything else that's going on in this movie. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to put it. She tries to run away and fails <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> pretty quickly. I really like that in these movies, the villains always seem to get a comeuppance that's particularly tailored to them. Ariana is thrown off the carriage, which could be like a symbol of the wealth that she aspired towards. She's thrown to the pigs, once again returned to the company of those that she scorned and was so prejudiced against. And there's this shot of her from overhead lying surrounded by the pigs. And it was kind of reminiscent of an overhead shot we got of her during her villain song when she was dancing around the room and spinning around. So there was that direct contrast there that I really liked. 
It's also insane that this happens after like a 10 minute action scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's a chase scene between her and Ro. Ro throws a branch to catch into the wheel and in the first song here my island there's this shot of her throwing a spear to gather fruit and so it comes back around full circle here i love that this is the part that confused me because the king and queen never get any come up in. yeah true they never even say sorry to the prince queen ariana is just the way for the king to do what he wanted to do do even without ariana he was still evil and also talula is just there cradled by the queen again it's a little sad for everybody i mean even ro ends up with this dude who loves camping i mean who loves camping but there is one shining glory in all of this sadness and that is the fact that ro gets to reunite with her mother this whole time we've seen glimpses of this woman from a different kingdom and at the end of the movie they're reunited and the mom calls her Rosella which clearly is Rose's name (laughs) (laughs) yeah we also get a a reprise of right here in my arms here again we're coming full circle with Rose's mother filling in the blanks that Ro couldn't remember earlier on. Antonio also proposes to Ro and there's this shot of Tika taking Ro's hand so that she can accept the proposal, which is a direct contrast to her preventing Ro from taking Antonio's hand before. You know, good character development. Yeah, I like that a lot. And we end the movie, as we often do (laughs) with Barbie movies, with a wedding. And also our final song in the movie, which is When We Have Love. Of course, it's an outdoor wedding. (laughs) But actually, I did think this was kind of sweet because inside the castle represented all of the stifling constraints that Antonio was trying to break free of. So in a way, it is nice that with Ro, he's able to be fully himself. It would be nicer if if we hadn't already talked about all the things that we have and he had been a better character. But anyway, it's sweet, I guess. Yeah, I like it. And what what else would they do but sail off? (laughs) (laughs) Yep, on their one boat. So... An absurd conclusion. The dolphins are the puppet masters of this story. <laughs> yeah, they're the masterminds. Well, what snacks would you pair with this movie? Maybe some fresh fruit or something? <laughs> Mine is similar, but very specific, actually. In the song At the Ball, Saji says, Wear a fruit cup and a smile. And let me tell you, I do not know what that means. <laughs> the thing that he wouldn't know what that is, that isn't on his island. I thought that was really funny. That's what I would pair with this. And I actually do mean that. I think a fruit cup would go really well with this movie. So we recommend fresh fruit and processed fruit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now that we've discussed this movie in excruciating detail, have your opinions changed? And would you recommend this movie? Um, <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> My opinions have changed. I don't remember ever watching this movie, but I I don't know. I did have this impression that this movie was inferior <laughs> and one of the shitty ones or whatever. But also, before and after our discussion, my opinions have changed. Before this, I liked it, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it just because I thought it wasn't 
that interesting to be honest however after a discussion i like it so much better like i think it's way more interesting than i realized and like so many things are happening here <laughs> and i need people to watch it i recommend it i really really recommend it for multiple reasons to kind of get a taste of how ballsy these Barbie movies can really be. Like, you would think they'd be, like, the most shallow thing ever, but they're, like, the extended advertisement that no one really pays attention to, no important people are paying attention to, so they can say absolutely anything. <laughs> and it is insane, the things that they will touch on. And I need people to watch this movie so that they would give Barbie movies more of a chance. Also, like, on top of that, it's also, like, a good time, so why wouldn't you? So, yeah, I do recommend it. I'm glad. It occurred to me, while you were talking about how no one pays attention to these basically extended commercials, that even when they're watching it, it seems like they're not really paying attention. Because I remember seeing some audience reviews here and there that talked about how clean it is and you know it's kid-friendly family-friendly whatever and yes I mean on the surface <laughs> it is but there's also a lot more going on yeah a lot of substance <laughs> if you pay attention if you think about it and I think Barbie as the island princess might be one of the Barbie movies that is worth giving a try for that reason I think my opinions have changed in that I watched it when I was a kid, so obviously a lot of this went over my head. But what does remain is that it was a fun time then, and it is still a fun time now. So yeah, I would also recommend this movie. Would you recommend this more than The Nutcracker? Yes. Interesting. Do you think The Nutcracker is better? Funnily enough, I think I agree with you. I think this is more interesting. Well, one thing happens in the Nutcracker. What? <laughs> the collapsing castle. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> well, that's all for our episode on Barbie as the Island Princess. If you have any suggestions for movies we should discuss on the podcast, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Twitter and Instagram, or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot.